The first time I ever, like literally ever in my life, uh, looked at the text that we're going to talk about today uh, was sitting in a car in Little Italy, San Diego, with my friend Allison Ricks, and uh, she had been studying this passage with her mentor, um, and I had like no context for it whatsoever, and she begins to tell me about this passage and about how, man, God, God elected me and chose me and predestined me and started using all these words, and I, began, I started asking, well, what does that, that mean then? Like, did, did God, he didn't choose everyone, he chose some people and all this stuff, and so here's what ended up happening um, was as she's sharing this with me, this was like a kind of paradigm-shifting moment for my understanding of God, and I hated it, right? Um, I don't know if you ever had a moment where someone told you something, and you really couldn't process uh, that in the moment, so you just ran away, right? And so what I did is she's sharing all this stuff, and I say, listen, Allie, if that is true, I don't want to serve that God anymore, right? Like that, that was my mindset when I was looking at this passage. And so if as we're going through it, you start getting this urge to like, I hate God and you and run away, don't, right? Like just don't do that um, because Matt's, Matt Graham will chase you down and he's really tall. And so, um, and so th- this passage, I want you to know, I have wrestled with deeply. I literally, with Ali said, I don't want to serve that God. I got out of the car and I ran down the street and then began to pray on the corner, just like, this is this, is this what's really true? And I wrestled with it for a long time. And so um, some of us in the room are going to hear this and be like, yeah, no, I've, I've started that. I know that. That's good. Some of you are going to be like, I hate that. That's the exact opposite of what I think it should be. And then you have to wrestle with that. And that's, that's fine. I'll also say on the front end um, that there are people here at our church that are like members of our church, that are engaged with our church, that love our church, that serve our church that do disagree with what I'm about to share. And, and listen, we don't think this is like a, like, it is about salvation, but we don't think it's a salvation issue that you must believe everything that I'm about to tell you, but also you should. But you don't have to, but you should. Okay, so, um, and so we're going to work through this together, and, and that's the reality of the text, okay? And so um, the la- there's kind of a couple other things on the front end I want to give. Um, we have to make... God, the center of our interpretation of all of Scripture. Uh, and, and here's what I mean. We can oftentimes open up the Bible, and what we do is the lens for our interpretation is our own mind, right? Uh, our own understanding of, of grace and of mercy and of love and these things. And so what we do is we put ourselves as kind of the main lens for reading the text, and, and we can't do that. Like, especially a text like this, God must be the lens with which we interpret uh, Ephesians 1, especially chapter verses 4 through 6, which we'll look at today. See, because if the reality is, if God is truly God, and God is then like the like embodiment of mercy and grace and love, and you are not, then surely then there has to be this moment where, all right, God, you are more merciful, so whatever system you've created to draw people back to you, that is the best possible, that is the best merciful decision that could have been made. God, since you are more gracious than we are, you are the lens for which we interpret, then that means that the means of salvation that God has used is the most gracious way possible. Since God is more just than you and I, he is more like righteous, the Holy Ghost. So that must mean that he has come up with a system of salvation that is more righteous and more just than anything we could come up with. Now, now if that is not a foundational principle we can agree on, at least at the start that God is this and he must be the lens with which we interpret, then, then this will all go bad and you will run away and get upset. But God is the one who saves. God is the one who works. Okay? Revelation uh, uh, 7, salvation belongs to our God. It doesn't belong to us. We don't choose. We don't make the rules. Salvation belongs to him. Okay? Now, 
Last thing I'll say is the text that we're going to read is just a few verses. Um, but at the start of it, there's something in, it's, it's the word in Hebrew, and it's like, or something like that. Uh, I got critiqued in how I pronounced it in the first service, but it's like, uh, and what it is, it literally means the word blessing, and it was an intentional Jewish literary device that writers would use in order to denote something about God that the people were to follow. And so what you get here at the start in verses 3 through 14 is one of these blessings, this it's this, it's 12 verses of, of, uh, of Paul, the author, saying, this is who God is, this is what he done. And every single time you see that blessing, it is meant to move the people of God unto worship and service, okay? And so I'm going to read the whole thing here, and then we'll zone back in and focus on those three verses alone, okay? So bear with me as we read this. This would have been the whole blessing as read to the church in Ephesus, and they would have heard it and said, this is what God has done. Let me worship him. Let me serve him. And so that's our goal today, that at the end of this, even if you disagree with some of the theological doctrinal stuff, that we as a church would get to the end and want to worship God and want to serve God. Amen? Sound good? We can do that? Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed and promised with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, this 12 verse, this little blessing, this barakah, again, the entire purpose, this is the first thing that he is writing, Paul, to this Ephesian church that he hasn't seen in four years. And what does he want them to do? He wants them to worship God. Like above all things, before he starts getting into the specifics about, well, this is what life looks like, and this is what submission looks like, and this is what uh, loving your neighbor looks like, any of these type of ideas, before he gets to any of that, the focus is, who is God and what has God done? And it has to be the necessary beginning for us all in our relationships, in our walks, in our journeys, to try and live faithfully to the gospel in this world. In other words, if it just becomes about what you do and trying to be the good Christian, and you leave behind God, which I think we do in Christianity all the time. That like, man, we, we chase after, I'll do this right thing, I'll show up to church, I'll get up. But we leave behind like the power, leave behind God and what he has done. And so intentionally today, we look over these three verses to look at how has God saved us. If you're here and you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, he's Lord and Savior over your life, this is your story. If you're here and you're not a Christian, man, I, this, I want this to be your story. I want this to be your truth. And, and maybe that's today, right? And so let's zone in again on, uh, so turn your Bibles if you have them uh, to Ephesians 1. We're going to look at verses 4 through 6, 6 to start off with. Okay, here we go. Verse 4. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We talked about the holy and blameless stuff last week. If you missed, in fact, the intro sermon to the series, and like, please go back and listen. It kind of gives you an overarching theme of kind of what we're doing here. Okay, so, but here's the video. He chose us in him, right? Cho- chose us in him. So um, this, this is a pretty significant deal. Some of you are thinking like, well, of course he did. Like, I'm awesome, right? Like, like somebody's like, dude, I'm like, I'm, I'm really, I'm a good person. Uh, it would make sense that God would choose me, right? I've been chosen for everything else. Like, if you were always kind of the first kid picked, right, during like dodgeball in third grade, then you're like, yeah, of course, of course God would pick me. Uh, but then there's others of you, right, that you have a story and a past and a history where you say, well, why would God, if God's there, like, why in the world would he pick me? Like, I'm broken, I'm dirty, I'm messed up, I have a past, why would he want me? Right, so oftentimes the thing we do, we live in shame or we live in pride. And, and these two things are trying to be tore down by the gospel of salvation, by what God is doing, the good news that Jesus is the one at the center of the story and we are not. That's a significant reality for us, okay? Because what God does so that we can never live in pride where we boast or live in shame where, man, God from the beginning has tried to remove that from us. The difference is when he decided to choose you. See, because it's significant, because in this moment, if you could earn it and the choice was based on you, well, then, man, like, then you can be puffed up and be prideful, because that makes sense, because you did it. But what dispels all of this is the when, right? So he chose you, he brought you in, he said, I pick you, you're on my team, but it's the when that really matters. And when did he do it? Did he do it? Like, when you got saved, like, he looked at your life and said, all right, well, now you've met the mark. Like, you've gotten to where I want you to, and so now I'll save you. Was that it? No, right? Like, was it when you were, like, a little infant, and you're kind of innocent, you hadn't really done anything wrong in? Was it then that he just looked upon you, you were so cute, he's like, okay, now I'll let you in? No. It was before the foundation of the world that he chose us, right? So, so listen, think about this. Before he said, let there be light, Right? He wrote down Kenny, right? But before he said, like, I'm going to create this expanse in the world, he wrote down Charles. Like, do you understand? Like, think about that for a moment. Before he began to dream up everything you see, when you walk out and you see the beauty and the expanse, when you look at the stars and everything he created, Genesis 1 and 2, before any of that happened, in a book, he wrote down the names of those that were chosen. And so if you're here and, and you're, you're a Christian, you love Jesus, like your name has been in the book of life for eternity way before this world was even there. And so just begin to think through all that has been orchestrated and authored by our God to bring you unto him. That every decision, every movement, every place, everything that's happened in the history, all orchestrated by this beautiful, amazing author that would choose you and then orchestrate life that you would be his. I mean, like, just anyone who's battling pride in that, right? Like, to say, like, I'm something, that, that tears that down because it didn't have anything to do with you. Right? But, but if you're here and you're like, man, I know I'm broken, I'm a mess, and I'm in shame, and, and I'm, I'm dirty, I'm unclean, whatever that type of terminology you use, you have low self, like, no, that tears that away too. Because what we bring to the table does not determine how God chooses, how God loves. It's a fascinating reality. And again, this was written to the Ephesian church that they would worship God because they would look and say, man, like I'm a broken, I'm a messed up person, I'm not great. Or even the people that thought they were great, they would realize, no, this is everything about him and not about me. He in his grace 
has brought me to himself before the foundation of the world. He chose us. What a fascinating reality. Um, has anyone ever watched The Voice? Anyone ever watched that show? I love that show, okay? Um, I try to sing along. Verity hates it. And so, uh, but I love that show. I don't know why, but my favorite part is the blinds, right? That's what they call them. And so what happens in the blinds is they're like sitting in these chairs, which I wish I had one. Um, and they, they, they hear a voice they like, and they hit the button, and they're like, whoop! And then they get a C, and they're like, oh, this, this is who is that person singing. And so I, was, uh, I saw somebody kind of talk about the voice one day, and I said, man, that's kind of like what Jesus does. Like, you know, like God kind of chooses without really kind of seeing. Like, he didn't see that kind of, you know, he did, you, know you get your turn, back turn. He's like, man, that, that sounds good. And, you, and, and I said to him, I was like, man, actually, I think it's far greater than that. Like, I think if that's just it, like he kind of just heard a voice or something, it's still that we had something to offer. The reality is, and so if you watch last season, the guy that won, his name was Chris Blue, and that dude was, was fired. He was hype, you know, like he was just a man. And so that guy won, and so like the reality of that guy winning, if we take the analogy this far, is like that guy was chosen to win that show before the foundation of the world. Like, like that, that's just, it blow, when you begin to think through what does it mean that God looked and knew you before you knew you, before you knew anything, and he chose you to make you his. Okay, we're going to talk more about that right now. In verse 5, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. These first two words are easily just kind of read by, but they have to be, again, another lens and another context with which we understand this whole passage. So it's in love that he does the following. Now, it's interesting because that word love, if you're not familiar, there's multiple words for love in the New Testament. The one that's being used here is the word agape. Okay? Agape is only used for God, by God, only employed by him. In other words, agape love you and I can never give nor possess. Like God is the agape guy, okay? And so what, what Paul's saying is in agape, in a love you and I cannot really understand, he does the following, which again gives us this intentional lens to say what's coming must be seen through God's lens and God's love and not our own. Because maybe some of this, we're like, well, that doesn't seem as loving and that doesn't seem as merciful or just. Again, no, this is God. It's in his love and an agape love that we cannot even touch or understand. He does the following. So in love, he predestined us is the first one. In love, he predestined us. Predestined, prior destiny. Before the foundations of the world, he, in his sovereignty, ordained your destination. Okay, and we'll talk about the destination in just a moment. Now, now this, this can like... This can make us a little, this is one of the things that I think kind of stirred me up when I'm sitting in the car with Allie in Little Italy. Because I begin to think like, well, you know, like, this is, this is my choice, man. Like, I, I'm in control of me. Because if he just chose, like, where's, where am I? Where's my kind of volition? Like, why this doesn't make sense? And I began to truly have to wrestle through this reality. Because as people, we love to be in control, and we love our choices and being able to make them. And then we're like, wait, was the choice already made for us? That's a difficult thing, I think, for us to work through. Um, but think about this. I, I was processing through this years ago. I began to think like this. The Bible is very clear. Let me just ask, is anyone in this world, any human, better than another human? For the Bible. It's not rhetorical. 
No, right? And I see a lot of, a lot of no's. Like, there's no. Like, the, the Bible intentionally lays all, right? All have fallen short, right? All are sinful. All are broken. There is no hierarchy. We've established hierarchy. That's not good, right? And so, no, all are level in the eyes before God in their need for Christ. No one is better than another. No one has, is farther along than another in their righteousness without Christ, Okay? And so here's the thing, like if, if my choice or if your choice is central to your salvation, right, if it is the primary means for which salvation was enacted unto you, here's what this means, that you are smarter than, than all unbelievers in this world because you were able to figure it out, okay? We're just like, well, maybe, maybe I'm not smarter. I, you know what? I just, uh, I was just more humble, right? Like I was able to kind of lay, lay it down in here. Okay, well, then you're more humble than every unbeliever in this world. Or, or maybe you're, you're just more willing than every unbeliever in this world. You're more educated. Whatever it is, what you do when your choice is central to the employing of salvation and the enacting of salvation in your life, what you do is you put yourself above others. And the Bible says no. Tim Keller says this. He says, if you believe your choice is ultimate, then when you say, I am what I am by the grace of God alone, you don't actually mean it. Almost completely by the grace of God alone, but there was one little bit of difference between me and other people. No, says the Bible. And so we are not, like, I'm not smarter than any unbeliever out there, okay? And if you're here and you're sitting there, I'm certainly not smarter than you. I'm not better than you. I didn't figure out stuff better than you, okay? This is only by the grace of God. My choice cannot be central. His choice must be central. The Bible, I think, the best passage for breaking it down like this is in Matthew 16, 13 through 17. And he says this, Now when Jesus, Jesus talking to his apostles, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, You are the Christ the son of the living God, right? So he gets the answer correct. Way to go, Peter, right? Answer, he is the Messiah. And Jesus answered in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that's Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. This, this, what's happening here, Peter gets the answer correct. And Jesus, Jesus isn't like, great man, you got it right, so now you're in. He says, let me tell you, you did get it right, but you know why you got it right? Not because flesh and blood, in other words, not because your mind got there. Not because you're smarter than the people that said Elijah or Jeremiah. Not because any of that. That's not why flesh and blood, you did not achieve this. You did not earn this. You did not study enough. You're not just lucky enough. No, no. You got that answer because the Father in heaven who created the world gave it to you. And if he didn't, you would have answered Elijah too. And so again, again, all of this, right, predestined, this is coming, chosen and predestined, the destiny set. So let's talk destiny. What destiny unto this choice do we get? And it says that we are predestined, what, for adoption. Now, I mean, I, I love, I love adoption. I, like it is one of the clearest 
pictures of the gospel that this world has to offer. And I think that's why it's a mandate of the church in James 1, 27, right? That, we would, that pure and undefiled religion would be that we would care for orphans and widows in their distress. I think because the adoption story is the story of the gospel. Okay. How many people watch uh, This Is Us? Yeah, how many people are, are going to cry next week? I mean, next week is going to be brutal, okay? Um, that being said, right, they, they adopt him, uh, little Randall, you know, and you get to see the story and see this love and see kind of unfold what it means. But if, if you know kind of the story, but if you look, if you know anyone who's gone through adoption and you have friends, like adoption is this beautiful picture of being taken from from bad and unhealth and, and destruction and oftentimes pain and brokenness and being taken out of that situation into love and goodness and hope and peace. And so that story, right, that happens to us, Christians. That, that hap- God takes us out of brokenness and pain and shame and pride and sin and then adopts us into love and hope and beautiful story. So um, Matt, uh, Matt Smethurst, he's a, a general editor over at the Gospel Coalition, says this, and I love it's a beautiful picture. The gospel changes heaven's courtroom proceedings from a criminal trial to an adoption ceremony. And, and it's, if you can think for a moment, like, and I don't know if you guys have ever had the opportunity to, to sit like in a criminal trial or be a juror or something like that. And you picture that reality of, man, like this person's about to be convicted, sentenced to prison and to jail unto pain and hurt, further deepening the brokenness of their life. Like that, that's the criminal. And then you think, no, 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 this is now being switched and changed over to an adoption ceremony. So that same person who sits and awaits condemnation, sits and awaits uh, sentencing and destruction, is now brought into a completely different story where now instead of being sent away, they are being brought in and adopted into the family. Now we were this, those outside of Christ, but we are brought into this. And so again, the church in Ephesians, as they're hearing this story, as they're hearing these realities, this would move them unto worship and unto praise and unto service as it should us. Okay. So predestined unto adoption to himself as sons and daughters. So in other words, we're not just randomly adopted. You're adopted into the family of God, the God that made you, that wrote your name down in a book before he even thought up the world. Like he brings you into his family. Listen, if you are here and a Christian, you are literally, like it's not, not figuratively, you're literally a son or daughter of God. Like that is a, and it's like, okay, I mean, how do we, like how do we rest? Like how do we get around that? Like our minds around that? Like, I, my, like God is my father. Adopted into his family. That is a wild, wild reality. And how often does that shape our life? That as we walk through this world, God is Father. That we are part of the family. Then we're part of the family business. We do what the family does. We engage. We have the family meal together. We gather and we go. Okay? And so we're, in, we're adopted into himself as sons. And then how does he accomplish this fact? Through Jesus, it says. Right? predestined to adoption to himself as sons and daughters okay through Christ this is only accomplished by Jesus so again man like we, we can focus on doctrine and focus on like Christianity and the things of it and we just miss the source like all of this is possible because 
God decided to come into this world to live the life that you and I could never live, right? Because we're just kind of broken. We hurt people. We do things we shouldn't do. Live the life we couldn't live. And he died the death, that courtroom proceeding that we deserve to have and to die. He took that on himself and was risen on the third day that we would experience new life and adoption into his family. Like this. So all of this happens through Jesus. And that is, again, like, like this should stir our hearts unto affection for Christ. Like the, the church, Christians, and hear me, like we started off our set this morning with a song called Rejoice, right? And I, I actually didn't get to hear what it was like at the 11, but at the 9, it was like, it was like, Rejoice in the mercies of our King. Is it? I don't know the words. But, you know, so... And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there, I'm like, wait a minute, man. God, God, before the foundation of the world, before he was going to make everything that we know and love, he saw you and thought of you and orchestrated, authored life to bring you to himself and the church together. And he gives you everything as part of the family. When you get adopted in, you're now a member, you're an heir, you own everything he owns. Like we sit here and we sing, rejoice. No, man, like rejoice, church. Celebrate, worship. Like there, there's this disconnect, and I experience it too, and I hate it. Like I hate when I'm like just so feel so distant from God. Like I'm like, wait a minute, like what am I forgetting? I'm forgetting this. I'm forgetting what the Ephesian church needed to hear too. That God done amazing and great things from before the foundations of the world that you would be his son and his daughter invited in to the family of God and that is your identity right now this moment regardless of what anyone else says what a tremendous thing to move us to worship now last thing last point why does he do this like God does listen he doesn't need you he doesn't need me he is self-sufficient so why in the world would he do this? Why go to the great lengths, right, to bring you to himself? And by great lengths, I mean like he died, y'all, and rose from the dead. So why would he do that? Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Why? Why would he do this? To the praise of his glorious grace. Why, why does God do it this way? Why does God save? Why does he make it about himself and not about you and your, your, your uh, intelligence or your ability to take in knowledge or your whatever it may be? Why? For his glory, for his renown. Now, I remember the first time like, I kind of started processing through that. I was like, well, dang, dude, like, that's, oh, are you just prideful? Like, what? Like, you need this? It's like, no, 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 he doesn't need it. He deserves it. Like, every aspect of glory that can be given unto God, he deserves. As you read through your scriptures, and I hope you guys, I truly do, I hope you guys read through your Bible and just, like, churn through this thing because it's, like, the true story of the world. Like, and it's fascinating how God orchestrated this word. I hope you guys are in it. And so every time, like, you'll always see, like, God did this amongst the people, and he did this and this, and he saved them, and he redeemed them. And every time you read those passages, I'll tell you what, what you'll find right at the end is, for his glory, or for his renown, or so that his name would be, 
Right? Like every time. So why would he do this? For his glory with which he fully deserves. And so now we walk and we are the recipients of the goodness of God and the glory of God and the blessing of God. And because that's what he does, he lives in his own character, which is perfect and beautiful and loving and salvation and salvific. And so we've been brought into his family. That is a fascinating reality. And so what does that mean for us, right? Like, how, how do we respond? And I think it's, I think for me, like, man, I, I like need to read this just over and over and over again. Like, I won't give you details, but man, like this, this passage, I, I don't know what it's doing for y'all, right? But like for me, man, it is like conjuring up all sorts of like gratefulness and celebration. And while that's happening, it's also conjuring up all this like, man, I am messed up. Like I am like a broken individual. I, I like don't, man, I don't love God the way I want to a lot of the time. And it's like so peaceful to know that in that reality, he still chose me. And he still chose you. And so like wherever you're at with him, like know that is your reality. If you feel distant, listen, he's there and he chose you. And he's orchestrating life and people and this world to draw you unto himself. Maybe you're crushing it right now, and you and God are just clicking, right? You're getting after it. You're like, I go on, like, you go on a short-term mission trip every month. Like, you're just, you know, super Christian. Maybe that's your story. That's awesome. Like, man, man that's God who's orchestrated and chose you for that reality. This should be a worshipful thing. Now, I fully realize that, um, and there's a lot of questions that come off of this reality. If God chose before the foundation of the world, why didn't he choose everyone, right? Like, that's, that's a question that comes off of that, okay? And we have to wrestle with those type of questions. And we have to visit passages in Scripture. We're like, man, is that? And that, that's tough and that's hard, right? Um, we, have to, we have to ask the question, even just practical application of like, well, God, if you've already chosen everybody, why do I need to tell anyone, right? Like, at every level, why even be here? Like, it's just you predestined it, so, like, what's, what's the point, right? And, and I, love, I love this line from uh, Spurgeon. I don't know if you know Charles Spurgeon. But he has this quote when he's talking about, like, just preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel with people. And he says this. He says, if God would have painted a yellow stripe on the backs of the elect of the chosen, yeah, I'd go around lifting shirts and preaching to them. But since he didn't, I must preach to whosoever will, and one whosoever believes, I know that he is one of the elect and chosen. Right? In other words, man, we just go because we don't know. Like, I, we, we don't know. I don't know who in the room God has chosen and whom he hasn't. And, and to wrestle with the why, I don't know. But I do know the Bible's like, listen, I chose you before the foundation of the world. That It didn't have to do with your achievement. It didn't have to do with your wits or your smarts. It just had to do with the loving reality that God decided to enter into a broken mess that we created, that people would be saved. That is an incredible reality. And so we preach, and we teach, and we listen, and most importantly, listen in all of this. Again, like some people, you have pushback against this idea, that's fine. And my internal hope for all of us is the same one that I think Paul had as he writes out this, this again, this blessing, this Jewish barakah is that, man, you would worship God and you would serve God. 
And we have an amazing opportunity just to do that right now as we sing and praise and pray together. And so that's my hope for us. Let's pray.